Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of What's Wrong with the Podcast. My name is Pinar Givanch, and I'm the managing partner of Eric Urbajo, an award-winning architecture and design studio based in New York and Istanbul with a mission of creating concepts that address urban, social, and environmental problems. Today, we have the privilege of talking to Dan Bowden. Dan is the CEO and co-founder of AO Air. AO Air Spaceware creates a personal wearable solution to air pollution. Air pollution is a global killer of over 7 million, killing more than smoking every year, and has been linked to heart disease, respiratory problems, Alzheimer's, depression, crime, reducing mental acuity, slower marathons, and even to obesity and baldness. Their patented facewear is an alternative to a mask or respirator, which creates a pocket of clear, fresh air for the user. This means no need for a tight seal around the mouth and nose. They start their design at the molecular level and has been independently validated to be up to 50 times better than current solutions. It has debuted on the runways of New York and Seoul and has received international recognition from Fast Company. Hi Dan, welcome. Hey, good to meet you. Great to have you here today. Can you give a little bit more information on yourself and your background? Yeah, so my background is originally from New Zealand. I uh, moved over to London and started a company within uh, in the banking industry. Grew that to about $1.5 in size and um, got to a point in my career where I was sort of a little bit tired of, uh, of life and uh, needed to take a breather from, from London life. Uh, the, the manic and the mayhem that it is and uh, so I quit my job in London decided I was going to move back to New Zealand for some fresh air and uh, spent some time over in Guatemala uh, where I was working for a charity and started to really sort of reevaluate what I wanted to do with my life and part of that was I wanted to find a way of finding a, a role in a company that we could found that could prove that capitalism and doing good mutually exclusive tasks so I got back to New Zealand, not really knowing what I wanted to do, other than having a sort of very vague sort of a goal. And it was at that time I met my co-founders. Um, one of them was working in the, in the film industry and was working with nanotechnology and had come up with this new solution around air pollution uh, protection and was working with masks and respirators on a daily basis. Uh, the other co-founder, Ilya, was... Just back from China, where his wife was given a pretty stark choice. Uh, he had choice number one, which was basically to leave the country. Uh, choice number two is your unborn child was going to be at risk. And that was largely down to the air. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a really horrendous situation um, that they were dealing with. Um, so between the three of us, we sort of having a, a chat about this uh, technology that my co-founder uh, Jerry, the, the nanotechnologist, had been working with, and really I started to understand a little bit about uh, the problems of air pollution in a much greater way, and in particular about the flaws with the existing personal solutions. And to sort of give you a bit of a background on, on that, a typical market would need two things: you need a, a filter and you need a seal. So the filter is what cleans the air. The seal is what captures the air and makes sure that all the air goes through the filter. So that's why you have to have that tight seal around the mouth and nose around any kind of um, typical mask or respirator. So the problems with them are quite endemic and quite, uh, quite widespread. But the probably best encapsulated by some 
um, some comments in the press over in Sydney at the moment from a bushfire expert who said that the current face masks are close to useless in the environment over there that they're, they're dealing with. Also, sort of started to discover that, you know, and looked at a few studies and about 84% of masks suffered sort of one form of problem from trouble with communicating or breathing pressure, pressure on the face, headaches, um, and even creating self-contamination. So 84% of users were, had one form of problem with their existing technologies. But the bigger problem we really found was 95% of people buy these masks for, uh, for, for performance. Yet the performance depends on facial size, shape, and the movement of the face. And there's a big problem with that kind of design. Well, what's wrong with that design is pretty simple. Faces smile, which creates creases in the face, and faces move, they talk, faces grow facial hair, faces uh, sweat. Faces are constantly evolving and changing, and not all faces are the same. So these simple differences in facial morphology and movement are leading to leakages in the system, about 68%. So the key of what my co-founder really started to look at was could we create a mask that didn't depend on the facial shape and that was really at the core of what we brought to the table there um from my point of view i thought this was intriguing and we didn't really know what we we're doing at the start of this but we looked at it and went well could we use this not only to make a better form of projection a more human form of design but could we also make this a platform for more than just protection and that was sort of got us on the on the on the mm -hmm. starting point of, of what was O two O two and is now AOR. Um, so for for us, we really came up with one key goal, and that was really to live without or live enable people who are at risk of air pollution or air pollutants or airborne pathogens to live life without the fear of the air that they breathe. That was the very simple goal that we gave our company. And that's what I mean by mm -hmm. the ability to create this is not only just a better form of protection, but also to create a platform that we could use this as a way of actually monitoring the outside environment, creating a, a wider systemic change, connecting people to the problem. And with that goal in, in mind of enabling people to live without fear of the air that they breathe, um, we started to go out and started to sort of look to people that were in our wider network, the people that were interested in this, and uh, received a, a, a groundswell of support from, um, from a lot of people we started to speak with. Um, one of the first supporters of that was the, the group called uh, UrbanX, which was an, a, a New York or Brooklyn-based company, uh, which was a joint venture between Mini and SOSB. Um, yeah. To this day, I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to invest into us, given the state of the company at that point in time. I'm so glad that they did. Um, I think it perhaps came down to that really strong vision that we wanted to, to make our cities better and we wanted to enable people to really enjoy their cities again. I think it's fascinating how you addressed uh, the topic. How do you think um, this can sort of, I guess, grow from it being a face wearer? You mentioned a community. Um, do you foresee any other wearables that can sort of help us uh, in terms of not only allowing us to breathe fresh air, but also to this awareness and educational piece to it? This human problem or, or this 
people forget about these things. Well, you know, it's pretty easy to do when you're talking about something that you're trying to block something that is uh, 3,000 the size of a human hair, these particular matter that's so fine that you can't really see. It's part of your everyday environment. And when you're trying to conquer or you're addressing a problem that is so huge right. and seemingly un- unchangeable, humans are such adapted beasts that we can uh, we can adapt to any kind of problem that uh, and any kind of environment. We are very malleable and, and, and plastic in our ability to, to accept our circumstances. I guess our, our approach to that was, you know what? Okay, just because you're living in a place like... Um, in, in China, or you're living in a place like Mexico uh, City, or you've got a place to be, you shouldn't ha- be restricted from smiling with uh, your, your daughter when you take her to the park and hmm. and go to play. You shouldn't be, as an elderly person, stopped from um, you know, going for a walk. You shouldn't be stopped from going for a run in, in Seoul. Um, so, you know, we we really started with a, the the problem at a very very human level um that was kind of critical to to every thinking and every piece of design that we've ever done uh behind that um your actual question about other other wearables that uh can conform and uh can be part of the solution um we are definitely looking to integrate with other wearables uh, as ourselves we're starting off first and foremost with um, the biggest problem first, which is a process of focusing on, on a better solution or better quality air for the user. But in doing that, we managed to unlock a whole host of new valuable information. So we, uh, in order for our product to work, uh, we need to be measuring the air pressure. And when we measure the air pressure, that enables us to measure respiration rates and volumes. Now, measuring the respiration rates and volumes is incredibly valuable. Um, a couple of the doctors we've spoken with have been of the belief that it's uh, as useful as measuring heart rate and, uh, on a typical wearable that you'd see on a Fitbit. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes sense if you think about a lot of your things in your life. If you're looking to um, anger management, if you're looking at meditation, if you're looking to change your heart rate in your life, that is typically governed by your breathing rate. Um, if you're measuring or you're wanting to run faster, then you um, the, the, the key thing there is finding that rhythm between your lungs, your, your legs, and your heart rate. So for us, we've got something in terms of the data that we're collecting for the, the heart rate, for the respiration rate, which can be easily combined with the existing wearables that are out there too to enable people a much more holistic view of their healthcare system. So through that integration, we do believe that we will be potentially the first wearable in the world that can measure all four human vital signs. Wow. And so it's not only an environmental, um, it doesn't only have an environmental aspect at that point. It's very much for personal wellness as well. So it both has like personal and public benefit to it, to wear it. Yeah, exactly. And when you start to bring all that information together, anonymize it, and start to correlate it with um, other um, impacts and health problems that may may occur, 
um, we believe there's a lot of insight that will come from a, a wider public benefit. So we've always looked at the community in, in a couple of ways. Uh, one is just enabling that personal person-to-person contact, like a smile, but also the data will become really useful to anonymize that uh, digital health data. The, the third sort of uh, string to that that we're really passionate about, and we haven't quite got there yet, but we will integrate into that, is that as a platform, which we believe we're a platform rather than just a straight product, is why not connect people to the problem? Now, if people are wearing uh, masks and respirators, they're already aware of the problem. Now, if you could enable them the ability to collect pollution data as they go through the streets of New York, as they go through the streets of Seoul, and create the data that can actually enable change, that can show the impact of um, planting a street or planting a tree on a street or changing to electric buses. Now, that's when I think, or my personal belief is, that's when real systemic and real deeply rooted change starts to occur, when you can connect people to the problem. And that's been embedded in our vision of what we wanted to do from day one, community-driven, personal connection to the problem and enabling people to enact the change. So we're no longer reliant upon third-party sources. We're no longer reliant upon uh, the powers that be to, to enact change. That is so true because we often also talk about how you know smart cities do not necessarily mean inclusive cities. Like we, you know, we attend so many conferences and read so much research around like how we envision the future smart cities. Yet we feel like there is a some lagging uh, conversation around the social aspect, and that's mainly more inclusion of you know, diverse people. So I actually love that uh, the face we're here also is very much in considerate of the social angle and not diminishing the human side of it. So we're not walking around like robots. But at the same time, we are walking around like almost robots or sensors that will collect data to feed a larger system. And then now independently working in a decentralized way without waiting on government policy to be enacted or any other like big institution to take on something in order to have a data system or even act on the pollution. Because I feel like once we start relying on the bigger parties, it becomes an excuse after a point, you know, we think no effort will, you know, make a change uh, in the end. But then now this almost like collective grassroots efforts uh, somehow enables a much larger uh, data system. I couldn't agree more. And spent a lot of time living in Seoul. We spent a lot of time living in London, living in New York, and engaging with these conversations uh, with people around smart cities. But too often, those smart city conversations are purely around the collection of greater data and yeah. um, more efficient uses of resources. I think, uh, and I'm a strong believer, that too much of the conversation about smart cities doesn't revolve around how can we make our lives better. And what is the actual benefit to, to doing it? Starting with that, and what do the people actually want? Uh, now, I don't have, have much of a solution outside of, of, of that in terms of it, but how do we want to design our cities? How do we create cities that people are actually happily in, in enjoying? You know, we're just focusing on what we can do, which is you know, around this air quality uh, issue. Uh, but it would be great if that conversation or, or that smart city conversation was more focused on, well, what is the happiness index when we change things around? You know, this is almost like a, 
a Bhutan-like Bhutan uh, focus of gross national happiness in a, in a location <laughs> of, uh, of, of New York when we open up cities to have street parties um, or when we put a, a mayoralty in, in London to stimulate the, the nighttime economy. What does that actually do for our gross yeah. national happiness of that particular area, not just that straight okay, we've saved $30 on a piece of piping here in our water purification systems or, or anything like that. I agree. And I also think, you know, once it gets into that conversation, people, I mean, not intentionally, maybe because we are bombarded by news every day that we sort of lose interest or forget, and then it stops being a conversation even. But when you, you know, when you create something that is so much embedded in our day-to-day -day lives and fashion even like that is a, a very much more ex like accessible conversation and it's so much more relatable which in then in turn it starts to become more of a conversation between everyone else i mean we uh, if several years ago at within our what's wrong with agenda we were doing a little bit more research around what's wrong with fashion and one thing we uh, often came across, how so much of the per like wearable technologies were more towards personal convenience rather than public benefit. So what we did, we uh, aligned uh, that sort of, I guess, questioning around the material research that we were doing uh, in collaboration with the University of California, where we were working on this material that uh, repelled uh, water and absorbed any oil-based contamination. So, and it was super porous, it's highly absorbent, so it would trap these um, uh, contaminations within its pores. So it technically does not leak anything afterwards. It's not like a regular sponge. So our proposal was basically edgy, but uh, in terms of sort of raise awareness and start a conversation was clean as you swim. So we actually designed a swimsuit uh, stating that, uh, you know, wearing can enable us to be environmentally proactive, not just conscious. And also possibly through collective wearing, we can do environmental impact. And so when we actually saw your face wear, we were even more, you know, amazed that this, that was just a concept that we, you know, uh, published to start a conversation. It went viral and it got a lot of interest, but we, you know, we're not fashion designers. We didn't intend it to, you know, go anywhere uh, as a bikini, even though NFL cheerleaders end up wearing it once. <laughs> but I, when we saw yours, it's actually, you know, seeing something in life that not only has an environmental element to it, but also it's very social and very smart in the sense that it can mean so much more than what it's intended to do. So I think seeing that was like very fascinating and also seeing how it's actually feasible to not rely on some upper level decision to come down and trickle down to uh, us, but being more proactive by simply wearing. And I feel like fashion has a big role in that because it really is something that it's a, it's a common thread through all of our lives. It, and it's really relatable in many ways. Uh, I mean, with regards to, to fashion, it wasn't something we went out to, to conquer or to do. We sort of always took a view that, from our point, uh, that we were never going to be uh, a fashion company. But yeah. if we create a platform for others to design on, for others to iterate on, just like um, when someone first came up with the first pair of sunglasses, they came up with a design that people could work with. 
that was going to be a better thing for us to focus our energies in upon. And with those, um, with that in place, then with our vision, we found that a lot of people started getting on board with it. And so we created these relationships with the fashion world and they started to work with the product at, at that point. They could see where it was going towards. And as you say, um, fashion is another touch point. It's something that's very personal to people and we're on the, on the face. So we're always going to be involved in one way, shape or form in fashion. It's going to be a very important part of the, the, the body and important consideration for people, how they look. If you don't make it look good, then it's not going to, to work. Um, yeah. So that was always going to be important consideration for us. But um, anything that can become fashionable becomes another entry point that people can say, hey, I, I enjoy this, I like this, I can interact with the product as a result. So it has been a, a great little point for us, although not something we pursued weirdly enough. And if you saw how badly I dressed, you'd see exactly why we haven't pursued fashion. <laughs> Um, but still, I feel like, you know, at least in the end, it's something relatable for all of us, right? Like, I think it's a much harder conversation when you're talking about government policy or even architectural design is sort of a little bit harder to have a conversation around. And yet uh, you want to have a conversation around pollution uh, without being boring to, because you want to raise as much awareness as possible and educate people as well. And then there is fashion, which, you know, I guess some people may not consider some uh, outfits fashion, but in the end, everything is part of fashion, what we put on our bodies uh, and how we enclose our um, surroundings. So I think that is very, very interesting to how see all of it come together to serve a much bigger purpose. I agree, but I, I would also say that, you know, it may be difficult to have a conversation about architecture, but you know, it's very easy to have a conversation about the cities that you love. It's very easy to have a conversation yeah. about the places you love and the places you like to go and about people's homes. And it's the same thing with, with fashion or, you know, air pollution. We're talking about masks and things. Pivot onto a conversation that resonates with people. Um, for us, we resonate, yes, with fashion with, with a lot of people, but also it resonates, I believe, because, again, the ability to smile at someone is something really important, and we bring that to the table, which is unlike anyone else. So if you've ever had a, uh, a friend or someone that's gone into hospital, a loved one that's in hospital, um, it's a very dehumanizing experience because they have to put the mask over, yeah. and that stops the simple communication between a doctor and a patient. So you can find these little points to these little niche holes to, to start off that conversation with. And that's what really we're focused in upon. And what other, uh, I guess, products or innovations you see out there that has a similar impact, maybe not towards only uh, pollution, but you see that has the potential possibly for this like collective act and community and maybe raising awareness by doing a day-to-day -day activity, whether that is wearing or something else. I don't know. Now we've moved, into, moved more into this innovation space. I see these kind of technologies and these sort of things um, on, a, on a daily basis. Um, some of my favorite things that I've seen of late is um, some of our neighbors here in, in New Zealand. Uh, one of them has a technology where they've found a microbiome that was 
discovered at the bottom of a gold mine and it would uh, basically do the work of cyanide. So this uh, turned this into a, a basically a green factory. Um, and what that would enable people to do on a very localized basis is to create these small little factories wherein they could take the e-waste and it could extract the precious metals from that, not using cyanide, not using nasty chemicals, but using uh, microbiomes. Uh, so I see that as one of those things I'm super passionate about. And I think the guys at Innovation are just doing some wow. amazing things. And, and again, this comes to the sort of city level, local level uh, connection. Uh, a friend of ours from over in Portland that we're working with um, is working on a an app to enable people who don't have a voice um, to amplify their voice over certain issues that are uh, that resonate with them. Um, so the company is called Init. Um, very very early stages of this, but um, what I didn't really understand when I started to speak mm -hmm. with them was that quite often these people that may be suffering uh, from some form of injustice or maybe um, dealing with an issue, be it uh, the Me Too movement, be it the travel ban, um, can't find the right sort of platform. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to say we'll put it onto, uh, onto, uh, onto Facebook or put it onto Twitter and it'll all go viral, but it very rarely happens. And quite often when these things do happen or you do put it onto Facebook, uh, there are certain places that you can't say these things uh, in the open. So you may not be in a politically yeah. uh, free location. You may have suffered from uh, or maybe at risk of a Me Too movement uh, problem, you know, with some, some sexual quality issues, and you may not feel free to have that voice. So she's creating this platform to, to enable people to have this uh, voice that they can anonymize it, it's curated and then amplified uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, so I'm really passionate about that at the moment. That's great. And all of them have the similar, um, I guess, characteristic in terms of how it allows people to have um, greater independence in something and also brings a micro level solution to something that is a much broader uh, problem. Um, so I guess once, since we're also talking about, um, I guess, other progress makers, what would you, and as someone who is in a field that is trying to tackle multiple problems while trying to raise awareness with the end user, what sort of advice would you want to give to other progress makers? Uh, I think it's really simple. For us, we didn't try and conquer the world. We didn't try and solve all of the problems uh, to begin with. We really went for one niche sort of problem. And we brought that problem down to a very, very human uh, level. We found a, a very easy way of communicating that vision uh, to others. Um, as I say, you know, living without fear of the air that they breathe is a pretty simple and easy thing to, to, to understand. And with that, we set out for us a simple set of values for the company uh, on day one, which was really that um, we had three values of science, community, and partnership. So we were going to focus in on the, the science of what we're doing. That's what we're good at. The mm -hmm. team here can create something that is independently proven to be 50 times, oh, up to 50 times better than anything else on the, uh, uh, on the market today. But if we're going to have that um, wider impact, we had to create a, a model of community. And that's as we were speaking about before, you know, enabling people to smile at one another, enabling people to collect pollution data, enabling people to collect respiratory data, to, to, 
have a wider impact. But if we're yeah. really going to have the impact, and if we're going to amplify, we couldn't do it all ourselves. So the third value is always partnerships. And that's why we partner up with, uh, we've worked with the US Navy, we've worked with uh, BMW with the Mini Group, uh, SOSV, we've got Korean manufacturing partners, we've got some amazing partners over in, in Portland that we're designing with at the moment. Um, and we're working with some great people here in Level uh, 2, we've got some space down here. So we've always seen ourselves that individually, we can't have a great impact, but together we can have an incredible impact. One of the other things I sort of um, talk about is um, how we educate people on the problem um, as well and around air pollution. The way I always thought about uh, how we seek to, uh, to educate and engage people is or to reduce air pollution is around sort of kind of three R's. It's about reducing air pollution and it's about removing air pollution and relating people to the problem. And that's also been our approach to air pollution. And I think um, we need to look at it as a multifaceted uh, approach to air pollution from um, reducing the air pollution with, um, with cars that are, uh, are green, but also remembering that actually the way that we design our cities needs to be different. We need to have uh, less transit. Uh, we need to have more trees. We need to have... Um, a different approach to building products. It, no one single thing is going to uh, to impact them. So we need to reduce, remove, and then again relate people with the problem, so they know that when they're, they're out consuming, they're buying, that it's having an, an impact, a direct impact on air pollution, their health, their health of the next generation. Yeah, and reminding ourselves that we're part of a much bigger system and. I guess collectively we can make change, uh, but at the same time we need all the diverse players also uh, engaged and aware uh, in order for them to act too. Yeah, exactly. And as, as you've got um, things like the EPA being sort of torn apart by political wills, um, it's really empowering to see things that are happening, things like C40, where the C40 is going, okay, you might have done away with Paris Accord changes, you may have done away with all these regulations, but as a city, as a community, we're actually going to band behind it and we're going to believe in climate change. Uh, we're going to believe in the power of us to make an impact. So I think there's some really empowering things and really positive things actually happening out there uh, in terms of what we together are, are doing. And it all starts with one or two individuals. Wonderful. And that your product is basically the embodiment of a collaborative approach too. So that's uh, that, that was really, really inspiring, Dan. And thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope this becomes also a thinking process and um, I guess uh, acting process for, uh, for our listeners. Awesome. Thanks for that. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down with Grace John, Assistant Professor of Fashion at Parsons School of Design and CEO at Open Style Lab, an award-winning nonprofit dedicated to making style accessible to people of all abilities. As a designer, professor, and social entrepreneur, she focuses on building educational programs, investigating applied technology for wearable integration, and practices research focused on inclusive design. For more information on our events and our podcast, visit us at whatswrongwith.xyz.